Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and as always, I'm here with... Rachel Madel. How's hey it guys. going, Rachel? It's good. It's good. Happy to be here always, Chris. So you're back on the on the West Coast, right? Because you were out in the East for a while, right? Yeah. So I was in Pennsylvania last week. I spoke at Pennsylvania Speech and Hearing Association's conference. And I'm from Pennsylvania. So it was really wonderful to be there and talk to people. I saw some people that I haven't seen since grad school. Um, so it was really, it's fantastic. So tell us all about it. How did it go? How was the session? The session was awesome. So I was talking about AAC and autism, my, my two favorite things. And I got a lot of amazing feedback after the presentation. Um, the craziest thing is that right before I went on, guess who walked up to my podium? Who? Who was that? Actually, two people walked up. Actually, two people. One person we've had on the podcast, Eric Sanders, he was like, oh, I want to introduce myself in real life. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's so great. You know, obviously we've had him on the podcast, but I got to meet him in real life, which was amazing. And he's doing some really cool stuff. He was presenting the following day. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to catch his presentation, but um, I definitely told him to come back on the podcast because he's doing some really cool research. Um, but the second person that came up to me, are you ready for this, Chris? my AAC professor in grad school. Yeah, Joy McGowan. So I went to Temple University and Joy was my AAC professor. And it was like, I felt like I was in the twilight zone because here I am. And like, she sat in on my session. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm teaching my AAC professor. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was fantastic. I haven't seen her in years and years and years. And, you know, she said, I, I just signed up for your, your email list. And we have um, on my website, we have uh, the 10 cardinal roles of AAC implementation. It's a free download. And um, she's like, I signed up for that. Like, I love the work that you're doing. I'm really excited um, to see you. And so she's doing really cool stuff. She was presenting the following day as well. So I'm like, you should come on the podcast. So lots of AAC connections. That's cool. Now, did anyone else? Was, did you see anyone else there? Uh, I did. You know what? So we have a big fan. Her name is Gia, and she has been following our podcast for a really long time. She's reached out to me on you know several occasions with questions. We've actually answered some of her questions on the podcast, but she came to my session. She's from Pennsylvania, um, and I think I might have told this story on the podcast before, but the, the way I found out about Gia was I went to a family party, and you know it was quite random, but my aunt came up to me. And, and she said, I met one of your fans. You know, my aunt's name is Maureen. She said, you know, your name's Maureen Madel. Do you happen to know Rachel Madel? She's like, yeah, that's my niece. Um, and so that was kind of how I found out about Gia. And then she ended up reaching out to me, um, asking a few questions and, you know, of course came up at the presentation afterwards and introduced herself and we got to talking and um, it was so, so great. She had so many amazing things to say about our podcast and it was just so sweet to just hear how it's impacted her life and her career. And, you know, it's just so wonderful to hear stories like that. So I just love uh, when people introduce themselves that listen to the podcast because it just makes it feel like the work that we're doing is really uh, making an impact. So you're not going to believe this, but I actually have a very similar story. So just a few days ago, I was out in Iowa presenting at the Building Bridges Conference. So I was the keynote presenter there, a room full of people. And 
who comes up to me right there is Karen Easton, who is also very prolific on the Facebook group and uh, always asking questions and very supportive. And she came up and we got a picture together. Uh, it was awesome. I was like, yeah, there's, you know, people are out there listening to the show. It's great, great. And then I was looking at who else was presenting at this conference and Erin Sheldon was going to be presenting and she was going to be presenting in a different room the whole day. And I was completely bummed like, oh my gosh, there she is. I, we've never met face to face. We've talked on the podcast, of course, respond over social media uh, and I follow all her work but here is a chance to meet her face to face and I was going to miss it because I was presenting all day in one room she was presenting all day in another room well as it turns out uh, we did sneak away and have lunch together for a little bit and then we were on the same flight out of Cedar Rapids into Chicago so and so we got to actually sit wherever we want and we got to sit together and chatted all about AAC and all of her work and 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 just just uh, an amazing amazing experience because I was so sad that I wasn't going to chat with her and then I got to spend all this time with her it was so much fun yeah that's amazing and yeah definitely um if you haven't joined our Facebook group join it because we have all types of pictures you know what else we have on the Facebook group that Chris posted an amazing video Chris you want to talk about it I want to know I want to know the backstory because I haven't actually talked to you since you posted that so, yeah, so the backstory is I just wanted to make a little video, a shout out. I was talking to the, like I said, I was doing the keynote at the presentation. And before the keynote, I said, hey, everybody, I do this podcast. You heard it in the little description that uh, I, I, I'm the co-host of this podcast called Talking With Tech. And by the way, I thought we could all say hi to the other co-host. So uh, I just pulled up the phone and I said, okay, now here's what we're going to say. And we just did a little practice run and then we did it. And uh, uh, just asking everybody to say, say hello to you. Well, it was so wonderful because I actually, so of course we're three, I'm three hours behind you. So I woke up with a text message from you and I said, oh, what's this? And not thinking anything of it. And I was so surprised when a whole room full of people said, hi, Rachel. <laughs> it's, um, it was quite, quite a wonderful surprise. What a great way to wake up. Uh, so now tell me more about the, the conference. So you, you presented there, but did you get to see anything, anything that was cool or awesome? Yeah. So I was, um, unfortunately I was only there for the day. Um, and actually my mom came by the way, um, my mom got to see me present, which was so fun. And at the end of my presentation on the drive home, she asked me so many questions about AAC. What a great litmus test, right? Like have your mom sit in on your session. Like, you know, did you do a good job of teaching a beginner about AAC? And I did because she was asking really uh, poignant and relevant questions. So it was really nice to have her there. I did end up walking around the exhibit hall for a little bit with her and I actually ran into Amy Goldman which was really exciting because we've been trying to get her on the podcast she's actually going to come on in June to talk about disaster relief and um, so I got to introduce her to my mom and then I was walking through the poster sessions and of course like teaching my mom all about AAC and there was a really cool one um, I think it was through Misericordia University um, in combination with Penn State and what, what I loved about it was they were looking at the parent perspective of AAC which I'm really passionate about. I work, you know, a lot of one-on-one -on -one that I do with communication partners is with parents because I do a lot of stuff in private practice. It was really interesting. They, they kind of did a deep dive into, you know, what is a struggle? What are the struggles of parents who are, you know, trying to learn AAC? Um, what are the things that they really liked that clinicians did? What are the things that they, you know, didn't like? And what are some of the, the roadblocks to kind of troubleshoot when you're thinking about how can we teach parents how to incorporate this? 
this. Um, so it was really interesting. And actually, I want to have the the researcher. I want to have her on the podcast too. So I got lots of interviews out of this this conference. Cool. Now, did you happen to see any students there? Yeah. So the students were the ones presenting, and I love talking to students because they're so passionate. I feel like, and especially when I find a graduate student who's really interested in AAC, I'm like, oh yes, like this this is perfect because I think that a lot of times it's intimidating. And I, I did. I met a lot of students, and I know today's interview we're going to be we're going to be talking to some students. So Chris, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the students that you were able to talk to? Sure. So these are students from Longhorn University, which is in the southern part of Virginia. And it was actually my supervisor, Tammy. Hi, Tammy, who who found them. She went to a conference, the Speech and Hearing Association for Virginia conference, and came across them. And she said, you know, I work for Loudoun County Public Schools. And the students said, oh, do you know Chris from the podcast? And she's like, well, actually, yeah, I'm his supervisor. And they had this whole conversation about it. And, and actually, the um, Tammy, my supervisor, she said, why don't I just get them on the phone right now? And so she called and I talked to them right on the phone right there in the middle of the, the, on the floor of the session hall and chatted with them. And I said, hey, we got to get you on the podcast and talk about the research you, you've been doing. So that's what this episode is. It's, um, I think it's so important to support the next generation that's coming up uh, who's going to be taking on the mantle of AAC, not just the research, but the implementation and the whole new practice that's happening. We have to foster those relationships and support those endeavors. You know, I don't know. Rachel, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but when I was in grad school, I really thought I was going to go into research. Like that that was going to be my thing. I really loved reading about the, the research. I, I liked the design of the research. I liked the science behind it and trying to isolate all the variables. Then when I went and did some, you know my clinical practices, all my supervisors during that time kept saying, oh, you're so good with the kids though, Chris. You can't go into research. You, you got to be with the kids. You got to be with the kids. And so I kept listening to them thinking, all right, I guess I have to be with the kids. And I just wonder in some sort of alternate universe if there's this other Chris that has gone down the research path and uh, what that person has accomplished. And I don't know, just fascinating. So I want to support students to not just think of implementation, but to support the idea of going into research. Yeah, well, we need both, right? We can't only have practice and we can't only have research. We need a, a little bit of both. And I never thought I was going to go into research. <laughs> Let me make it clear. Um, I always was like, you know, research was was something that, of course, I read and I'm interested in. And, and, and the more I, I grow my kind of specific specialty and expertise in AAC, um, the more interested I am in that specific research. Um, I think that when you get introduced to research, uh, you know, it, in the undergrad level, or especially the graduate level, it's just like, you're getting research from every angle, every area. It's like, it's a lot. And if you don't have the foundation to understand what the research actually means, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. Um, and so I definitely was never thinking like, I'm going to go into research. I was like, oh my God, this research, I can't, I can't with all the research. But I do think it's really important. And if we didn't have researchers out there, we wouldn't know what, what we should do as far as practice and what is actually evidence-based. So it's just, it's really important to support that. And, you know, of course, I know that I would love to see more funding for research in AAC. Um, there's a lot that we, you know, have started to learn, but there's so much more that we still need to learn. And so, um, yeah, I definitely think that it's important. And I'm, I'm happy that we're kind of highlighting that perspective today in today's interview, because it's so important, um, especially for students to be encouraged to, to get into research. 
Well, yeah, and you know, and I think um, not just the research aspect of it, but also I'm becoming more and more aware of the influence that that supervisors have, and that um, people in the field have, and and veterans, and and people, I guess, like us that are doing this podcast and putting ourselves out here, is the influence we have. And uh, the, my former supervisor, because of what they were saying, steered me down a completely different path than maybe I would have gone in a different way uh, had I had a different supervisor. You know. And I just find that um, that influence is so important. And so I feel like uh, as a call to all those out there that are currently veterans in the field or currently working in the field, when you're talking to this next generation that's coming up, is to really focus on all the different aspects. So not just implementation, not just research, but all of it together and, and point people in the right direction to follow their passion. Right, exactly. It reminds me of like the the parent who's like, you know, trying to get their, you know, their son or daughter to kind of follow the same the career trajectory that they either took or wish they took. Um, you know, it's really important to just like, you know, really grant exposure to lots of different things and let somebody choose for themselves what they think is the best fit. This is actually an incredibly relevant topic that we're talking about supervision. I just did uh, two CEU courses that are free offered through ASHA on supervision. Um, I would highly recommend them actually. You know, you go into CEUs like supervision, like, oh, I'm going to take some supervision CEUs. And I'm like, okay, what are you going to teach me? Um, But I have to admit, I learned so much from these CEUs. Um, And the biggest takeaway for me, one was just about the importance of communication and just being open and, you know, setting those expectations. Um, But I think that the other one is we have such a huge influence, like you said, on students and CFYs. And, you know, you don't realize the influence that you have. But if you look back, I look back on my CFY supervisor, who was fantastic, by the way. And I just think, wow, like she really shaped the clinician that I was. Um, and so we really have to take supervision. Um, we can't take it lightly because it really is making a huge impact, either positively or sometimes negatively, um, if we don't, you know, we don't take it seriously. And remember, it's such a such a huge honor, actually, I think, to, to supervise someone because, you know, you can share your knowledge and your expertise and try to help guide them as a mentor. But it's not, it takes a lot of work. It's not something that's super, you know, oh, I'll just do this in my spare time, or I'll just get a student to take over some of my caseload so I can do other things. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it should work, at least. <laughs> so speaking of influencers, there's people that influence us, and those are people that leave reviews. So do we have any new reviews on our on the podcast? We do, Chris, and you know who it's from? It's from our girl, Gia. She's been saying she's going to leave a review for so long. And she says, I've been procrastinating writing a review for a long time because it's been a difficult for me to find the right words to truly express my gratitude for this podcast. I stumbled upon talking with tech unexpectedly, but it's changed my professional career and personal life in so many ways. Rachel, Chris, and Lucas share real life experiences, research, and strategies that can be implemented immediately. They cover a wide variety of relevant topics, often interviewing AAC specialists, AAC users, teachers, and family members members of AAC users who offer important perspectives to improve our daily practice. One of the best parts about it, they keep it real. I've laughed, cried, and yelled, yes, and thank you, in agreement to the findings and struggles they share. 
Prior to the podcast, I felt lost and nervous about serving students with complex communication needs. Now, those are the sessions I look forward to most, and talking with tech has provided me with information and resources that have allowed me to feel confident enough to share my knowledge in order to educate families, staff, and fellow SLPs. This podcast helped lead me to developing a true passion and desire to specialize in AAC. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. You have taught and inspired me, and in turn, many students, families, and educators more than you'll ever know. Thank you, Gia, for taking the time to write that. Oh, that was awesome. I know. You know, I wish you guys could see when we read the reviews because our smile, like, it feels like my cheeks hurt because I'm smiling so hard. I know. I'm <laughs> cramping. I need a massage. I know. But yeah, please leave us a review, guys. We love hearing your reviews and, you know, what an impact that the podcast is making. And the more reviews we get, the more people um, have access to finding our podcast. So definitely go on iTunes, leave a review. Um, if you haven't already, join the Facebook group. Um, it's a really great place. Amazing conversations are going on in there. And I really feel like we're building a, a sense of community. Um, we have like a really big Facebook group now. And I feel like, you know, we know the, the people who are constantly asking questions and, um, you know, leaving feedback and, and sharing pictures. And so it's really, I'm really excited to see how the Facebook group has really taken off. So I think there's two other shout outs that we have to give, Rachel. One of them is to Michaela, our audio engineer. So I just heard that she got into her grad program for speech language pathology and she's focusing on AAC. So congratulations, Michaela. We are so proud of you. Yes, absolutely. I'm so proud of Michaela and I'm just excited to, to be able to, to see how she grows as a clinician. She gets to listen to all of our podcasts, right? She, she edits it for us. So she's, she's starting grad school with a leg up for sure. And then the second one is our own producer, Luke Paget. Luke, he just graduated, didn't he? Yes, he did. Passed his tests and everything and is like a bona fide speech language pathologist now. Yep. It's, it's CFY time. Get excited. Um, Congratulations, Luke. You're in for it now. It's true. You know, and we, our podcast would not be the podcast it is without those two amazing human beings that help us every week. Um, and so I'm so grateful to have them on our team and so excited that we're able to work with them. We, we absolutely love you, Michaela and Luke, and we wouldn't be able to do it without you. So without further ado, let's head into the interview with our students from Longwood University. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and today I have the great pleasure of interviewing four different people all going to the same university. Is that right? You all go to the same university, right? Yes. And what university is that? Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia. Farmville, Virginia. Where is that? Because now I actually know where Farmville is, but I would imagine many of our listeners don't. So can you describe where you are in the world? So we are about an hour and a half south of Charlottesville, I would say it might be the best way to describe that. Yeah, central <laughs> Virginia, pretty much. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And so Longwood University, what do you study in Longwood University? 
We are all graduate students in the Communication Sciences and Disorders program. Ah, fantastic, fantastic. And so real quick, let's do introductions. So, so can you tell me your names and maybe a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in AAC? So my name is Courtney Kazmarek. I'm from Maryland and my interest in AAC comes from, I used to work at a children's hospital for children with autism. I'm Peyton Yates. I'm from Whitfield, Virginia. It's a small town in Southwest Virginia. And last year I worked at a school for autism and then really got into AAC after coming into graduate school. I'm Llewellyn. Um, I am also a first year here. I'm from Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I got into AAC at my job last year at a children's hospital. And I'm Shannon Graham. I'm from Temple, Texas. And I got interested in AAC. Um, I took some time before graduate school and I worked at a school for autism. Um, worked with a lot of um, 16 to 22 year olds who use AAC devices. Gotcha. So you, guys, you all say this is your first year in grad school? Yes. Yep. Gotcha. And it's a two year program? Yes. Gotcha. So at the end of this, at the end of next year, you'll be looking for jobs. Is that we right? Know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, as you know, I mean, I think jobs abound for speech language pathologists, right? You'll exit with a degree in speech language pathology with a graduate, a master's in speech language pathology. Correct. Yes. Awesome. Hey, I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast have those as well. And that's, uh, I think it's always great to have conversations with the new generation of people coming into the field and, and hearing what you're learning about and what you're passionate about and what your experience has been. So let's talk about that a little bit. You guys have been doing some research. Is that right? We have. <laughs> so tell me about the research. All right. Well, um, so our study was a pilot study. Um, we were looking at um, the Proloquo, the app, AAC device. Um, and we were really interested in looking at the different ways people learn how to use the device, um, particularly teachers. So when looking at that, we decided we need to break this down into um, testable teaching methods for um, our participants. So we thought, what are the like, teaching methods that are available right now. So we're like, um, you could keep teach yourself if you go online and look at the online modules on assistiveware website or any of those. You could also just sit down with the device in front of you and just try and figure it out through trial and error. Or um, the best we were thinking would be one-on-one -on -one training with an SLP who's been experienced in that. Gotcha. So, now, so let me ask you some questions about that. So have any of you have prior experience with Proloquo to go? I got some experience at the school for autism that I was working at. Um, that was the, the main app that was used by the students there. So I got quite a bit of exposure to it. Um, and I personally, I personally liked it. I thought it was pretty user friendly. Um, their help manual online as we were looking into which app we wanted to test. It really had a pretty thorough um, online help support manual with videos and text. Um, and so that's where we decided to use um, as our first run with this study. Gotcha. So Shannon, how did you originally learn it? Did you sit down with a speech therapist or did you go through the tutorials or did you just dork around on it, you know, banging at the keys? <laughs> a little bit of both. So I was a teacher's assistant, so I did um, behavior therapy at this school and the SLP would come in um, and work with them maybe once a week. She had a really uh, large caseload and could not you know, be there as much as she wanted to. So we could watch her work with them and then it would come time for us to do it. And we had certain um, 
certain tasks, certain behavior, certain goals that um, they were working on and they required certain things on that device. And if the SLP wasn't there, we kind of had to just fiddle around with it and figure out how to use it um, and hope that we got there without messing anything up. But that's what I found was really great about Proloquo is you could very easily find the delete button if you added something that you you didn't mean to. What about the rest of you? Had you had prior experience with it or was this your first time really looking at that particular app? Um, a lot of the kids, I was a speech language pathologist assistant and a lot of the kids I had were nonverbal. So they didn't, they had dev- um, AAC devices, but not necessarily Proloquo to go. Um, I had a little bit of experience with LAMP and touch chat. So it kind of, that gave me some background and um, some abilities to work with Proloquo to go. Right. And I also worked at a children's hospital. It wasn't just for uh, children with autism, but a lot of them were using AAC devices. Um, We had an AT lab, but mainly there were like Accent 800s and eye gaze and stuff like that. So I didn't necessarily work with Proloquo to go. And I actually had no prior experience with AAC until coming into graduate school and then had a client who used one. And Shannon actually introduced it to me and helped me, I guess, really learn the basics of it. So, Gotcha. So that would be another way to learn, I guess, would be from peer support. And so it wouldn't necessarily be a speech language pathologist teaching you, but it could be just a friend or a, another teacher. Right, definitely. Okay, so tell me about the design of your research. So you, like you said, you had the three different, how did you, how did you set it all up? When we were really looking at this, um, we were, we wanted, like Lizzie said earlier, find what's realistic to teachers right now. My mother's a teacher herself, um, fantastic third grade teacher, but she is not great with technology. <laughs> so I was just thinking about if she were to have a student who comes into her class that uses an AAC device, how could she go about learning this? You know, we, so we, that kind of spawned our three groups. So we had the online module, so she could go home and look at the online manuals. She wouldn't have the device with her, but she could, you know, read through all of that, watch the videos and then come back and um, try it out. She could um, just figure it out in the moment. So that's our trial and error group. So condition number two, or she could have that one-on-one instruction. So that's our condition three, and that is our direct instruction. Um, So we got undergraduate education students. Um, They were the first participants in our study. Um, We had, you know, easy access being in Farmville. We don't have um, too much around us that we can pull from. So we went with um, the undergraduate education majors, and we split them up into groups, and they spent some time with their um, instruction method. So the online manual, we had a list of modules for them to go through on the Assistive Wear website, so they worked their way through all of those. The um, trial and error, they were just given Proloquo, and then the direct instruction, there was a scripted training that um, we went through talking to them about the different basics. And then all three of them went through a timed test of competency, so we came up with um, eight different tasks for them to work their way through um, basics like add a button for hand, take a picture of your hand for the hand button, delete a button, just kind of the overall basics that they would need as teachers working with a student um, and helping adjust the curriculum for that. And then after we timed them to see how long it took them to go through this, we tested their perception of AAC and of their instruction methods. So we gave them a survey, asked them, how effective do you think your instruction method was in learning the basics of Proloquo to go? And then what is your perception of AAC beforehand, before this study, and then after? Yeah, um, our results were pretty exciting, but I don't know if you want to talk about that yet. But yeah, that's just how, 
before before we get to it i do have a question before we get to the let's keep the listeners hanging on like well what are the results what did, what did we find out i wanted to make sure i understood explicitly what you were saying about uh what you were teaching so there's a sort of famous researcher named janice light and she talks about different competencies you probably have learned about have you learned have you heard of janice light there's some of you are nodding like maybe um in our aac class officially yet Gotcha. You haven't had that yet. Okay. Well, what she does is she breaks down the different competencies that someone would need to have to be really successful at implementing a communication device or using a communication device. For instance, she says linguistic competencies, you know, your language ability to be able to use the communication device to actually use, you know, to, to construct sentences and make different words. Right. And then, then she talks about, there's others. We won't go into the whole thing because we have a whole other show on that. But one of the competencies she talks about is operational competency. Like, can you plug it in? Can you know how to program the buttons? Can you know how to keep it clean? You know, and it sounds like what you're measuring is strictly that operational competency. You're looking at, can a teacher program a button, right? Is that not actually, can they implement it with a person? Does that sound fair? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Two of our competencies were like, we were just thinking of what are the basics that teachers are going to run into with students in their classroom? They just need to be able to go on the fly, like adding a button, deleting a button, you know, um, linking to an existing folder, stuff like that. Gotcha. Yes. And, and, all right. So, drum roll. What were the results? <laughs> so, overall, we just saw that there was a lot of variability in how people learn best. But as we suspected, the completion time for the competency task revealed that direct instruction was the best. And then they also, this group also had the highest rating of perceived effectiveness, which is kind of what we assumed. And then the trial and error perception was pretty negative for the effectiveness of the instruction method. But in general, we found that it was interesting that perception of AAC went up regardless of that instruction method. So that was pretty cool. So no matter, let me make sure I understand that correctly. So no matter what they did, anyone who spent time learning the device, whichever, whichever of the three different modalities they were learning it in, they had a better perception of AAC. They walked away going, yeah, I get this. Right, regardless of the instruction method. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Now, it is sort of surprising to me, to be honest, that direct instruction was the best. Uh, or when, I, when, I say, when you say the best and when I say the best, it took the least amount of time to learn that. Is that what we mean by the best? Yes. Yeah. Um, on one hand, it's not surprising, right? If we sat together and we did one-on-one -on -one instruction, yeah, that's, um, but there's ho this whole new philosophy out there in education that sort of like rote memorization isn't really where it's at anymore. You know what I mean? Like, if if I was to quiz you on Janice Light's competencies, you know, like you probably do in your studies, you would memorize it, you'd study it, you'd spit it back out of the test, and then you might forget it because you're on to memorizing the next thing, you know? And so I wonder if that's the case. I wonder if there was some sort of longer study, if yes, immediately they remembered and learned more, but if the trial and error wouldn't actually have a longer term, better result, you know? Like if a year from now we went back and asked those same people, I right, now study the buttons and show me how you would create a new word and link it to a folder, right? Is that what you were saying? Mm -hmm. That if the person who was doing the trial and error wouldn't actually do better a year from now than someone who had the direct instruction. I don't know. If you got a year to go, that could be a, a great <laughs> No, that's a great thought and a great point. Because I personally, I feel like I learn better when I just try to figure it out on my own. Because I go through, you know, instead of someone watching someone 
do it for me and think, okay, yeah, I got that one. It's different when I go in there, try to put in the motor movements when it wasn't, you know, maybe the direct instruction wasn't designed exactly how my brain operates and how I learned best. So that is a fantastic point and would be very interesting. We have lots of ideas on how we can continue on our study, how we can add on to it and um, really find some more cool results that could could help out the field. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Let's let's come back to that in a little bit because I want to. What do you think the results mean for people who are actually in the field? What what, what would uh, what would you want teachers to walk away with and do with this information? So what we kind of took away from it was because our standard deviations were pretty large, and kind of as Peyton said, it kind of showed us that there's a large variability in how people learn. So how do we take that? And you know, direct instruction was the quickest. How do we take the variability? And how do we make a, you know, a mass training, but also make it individualized? How can we widespread um, a sort of training, but one that's going to be effective um, for everybody that's um, participating? So um, that kind of got our minds thinking about that and how we can approach just getting the word out there a little bit more, too. We found an interesting research article by Patel and Comstockwar. They piloted a training program for AAC with teachers. Um, and before they even started the training program, they noted that teachers' attitudes toward AAC was negative across the board. Um, but once they established that training method and the teachers actually went through kind of a structured training, um, those attitudes changed to the positive, um, which is kind of what our study showed too. Um, but we didn't explicitly use people who had an already negative perception. So we would like to do that as well. And I think I'm going, I'm jumping the gun on <laughs> talking about what we're going to talk about later. Um, but that we, we loved that our data kind of lined up with that study as well. Awesome. So people could go out and, and create trainings with this sort of information in mind that uh, they need, not need, but it might, be, it might decrease the amount of time that someone has to learn if you did more direct instruction. Right. And we were thinking even with today's technology, um, there's just more telepractice too. We're thinking that route maybe because then you can just reach more people. Because originally we we're like, yeah, direct instruction, it probably is going to be the best, you know, the most effective training method. But how realistic is that? Like, how realistic is it that an SLP can really take that much time? You're already so busy, you know, with your notes and everything else that do you have the time to go train teachers and like, but with maybe telepractice or going another route like that, you can reach more people and also, I don't know, train them with how they learn best. But we're not really sure about that yet. <laughs> There's yeah. an episode um, where Rachel was talking about how she can film herself, like making buttons and things and then send those out. And I thought that was fascinating um, that that's just going to be so much quicker for people teaching or you can, because we were also thinking while well, direct instruction, you know, is was the ideal scenario in this particular test, how is an SLP going to have time to go when that teacher needs it? Because if they need something for their curriculum, their, their activity that day, how, how do we get out there quick enough? So um, that was pretty enlightening to hear her talk about just being able to send out that video pretty quickly. That was awesome. Yeah, you know what I think you'll find is that um, you need all of the modalities, right? You need you need to create on-demand videos. You need to do some direct instruction. You need to have a video archive. 
you need to have audio only in some re- in some cases because this hits the largest number of people that way is they get to choose the modality that works best for them in, in the given situation. One of the things I really like about video is the idea that like I would probably prefer video in some cases because I can hit the two times button and I can get through the direct instruction. It's sort of like direct instruction, but I can get through it in, in half the time, you know, and I can always stop and rewind and watch that again. Wait, what did they do there? And, and that gives me that flexibility that sometimes I would not feel as comfortable if I was with another person. I'm like, oh, no, what is she saying? I don't know what she's saying. And I feel like self-conscious uh, to ask, you know, where I can go over and over again on the video. I think, I think you need it all. I think that's, the, that's maybe one of the big takeaways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So let me ask, if you could do, the, do it over again, what would you do? What, what would you do differently? Well, first of all, we would definitely have a larger in. Um, our study was pretty small, but it was a pilot study. So we we're definitely looking at getting just as many people as possible. I think that's every research study's goal, though. Um, and then also, like Shannon was mentioning earlier, um, maybe getting educators, like teachers who already have a negative attitude. That'd be interesting to look at. Yeah, I wonder how you'd find those people. Like, come to, you put posters up around Longwood University. Do you hate AAC? Come to ours. (laughs) We have a study for you. (laughs) We're going to try our best to, we we do want to continue on. We think that this has some pretty interesting implications and, you know, research on AAC is relatively limited from what we found. So we're going to reach out to, um, some of the surrounding counties around here and see if there are anybody that'd be interested in participating. So that's, I think that's the main thing that we are, we're trying to do next is bring it out to actual educators. Um, and I think we're going to find, diff- uh, we'll find variability across all of it with the different instruction methods, but also I think with, you know, um, teachers who've been working in the field for a long time versus, you know, younger use of technology um, teachers as well. Yeah. So you know what I found there? This again, just this anecdotal experience there is that age for some reason doesn't seem to matter. You'd think it would, right? You'd think, well, geez, if I was sort of a veteran that was kind of stuck in my ways that maybe I would not want to adopt new technologies or I'd be scared of it or I wouldn't be as uh, comfortable pushing the buttons on a, a new fandangled device. But I find that there are many younger people that they know how to use touchscreen technologies, but they don't use these touchscreen technologies, you know? And then there are more veterans that... Um, because they've been using, they, they've been thinking about augmentative communication, they've been thinking about technology for education, when they get a new app or a new um, system, yeah, they're not familiar with the touchscreens or how to use them, but they can learn it relatively quickly because they get the overall concept. So it's, 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 I think it's going to be fascinating. I think it'd be a good thing to suss out in the research is to see if age truly matters, you know? Yeah, that's, that's fascinating to hear. I, I just knew from my, with my mother and her, I, we, we, talked about copy paste for a really long time (laughs) so seeing kind of how that would work Um, and we also thought it was really interesting when we were presenting at the um the virginia conference that how many slps came up to us and were like we don't know how to use it either um which was very interesting to see that even well we have one class on it and i know um we may we're probably the only ones in our class that are interested in AAC, you know, as, um, you know, a future career path. 
Well, those other people, I hope you give them this episode to listen to because the truth is once you get out there, it's going to be a lot of AAC, you know, whether you're working in the schools or in with adult settings. At some point, we say like uh, Microsoft actually has a really good saying about this where they say like at some point, everybody will have a disability, you know, it's just a matter of time if you're you're getting older Um, and AAC is because because it's, it is so much more prevalent now than it has ever been, uh, especially high-tech AAC, people need to know it, you know? And so, yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's probably um, a lot of speech therapists that uh, have been out working in the field and they have not had exposure yet, but they're all there trying to learn more about it. That's why they were at the, you were at the SHAV, the Speech and Hearing Association of Virginia conference. Yes. And I, I think that's many of them would go there looking for more AAC knowledge because they realize that it's something that they didn't get in their university level back in the day. So the fact that you have a course on it is, is awesome. It's a good start. We're excited. And then also this podcast has been super informative since we haven't had that class yet. We're <laughs> listening to it. It's just a, it's a wealth of information that we haven't received yet. And it's a great resource as well and connecting people who are using it and doing great things with it in the field is pretty fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. So yeah, we, we work hard at the podcast to bring for, for this particular reason, you know, is that we know that there are universities out there, but even beyond that, there are clinicians out there that are all trying to wrestle with these same sort of questions. So if we can bring everyone together this way, then great. That's the serves the whole purpose. So, so let me, let me ask you all each what's next. So we talked a little bit about for the research, but what about you individually? What, what are your plans after you graduate? Um, right now, I think we're all still just kind of figuring it out. But um, once we go out, we'll go on to our clinical fellowship years and maybe con- we'll all continue with working with the population of AAC, whether that is um, with young children or with the adults. I worked in a, um, or I did like some observation hours in a traumatic brain injury rehab center. And I think that'd be an interesting population to see you work with AAC devices too, because usually you think, kids when you think of AAC, but like you said earlier, it's really adults too, or it's just a lot of people can benefit from it. So yeah, I'm interested. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's across the lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. I am very interested in working with AAC in classroom settings with teachers, with a multidisciplinary team, as far as helping these students feel involved in as in charge of, you know, their education as they can be and giving the supports for the teachers to feel like they're, um, they're really helping, helping them and assisting them with their device and their communication. I've gotten to help out some of the other grad students here. And I've really found that I enjoy teaching others how to use the devices and different, different, just about the different types because we have some clients who use them and yet since we haven't had our AAC class yet, um, we're just kind of trying to figure it out as we go with different types um, of devices. So I think I'd love to see that in my future um, down the line. Great. And then just like they said, um, we have our externships next year and then our clinical fellowship year. So really just, I guess, seeing all the different populations we can work with, I think that will give a better idea of who we want to work with. But definitely AAC is an interest of mine as well. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, I know the field definitely needs all of you. and We're excited to have you when you graduate. So let me ask, maybe I didn't ask, or maybe you said it and I missed it. Did you do this research as part of a class? Since you haven't taken your AAC class, this must be a part of a different class, right? Yes. So we did um, a 
two semesters worth of research um, courses and we were required to do a research project as a part of that and then present um, at two different conferences. But outside of that, it being, you know, our course requirement, I think we've all found um, a passion for, you know, this subject matter and doing what we can with our research. Um, I think it's become really great and we've, yeah. we've thoroughly enjoyed it and it just hasn't been like, all right, that's another check that we did that. <laughs> Yes. That's fantastic. That is so fantastic. So if people wanted to learn more, if they wanted to kind of read your research or see it or kind of dig in deeper, where would they go? How do they find it? Sure. So we do have um, the graphic of our poster that we did bake for the, for the conferences that we were presenting at. That's something that we could share. Maybe I know there's the Facebook page or the Facebook group. I don't, we could share that out if that, if someone would be interested in reading the rest of it. Awesome. All right. So I have one last question for each of you, which um, just so this off the cuff here. So what do you think would be one thing you'd want everyone to know about your research or something that you're questing after something you want to learn more about? What is something that is really driving your learning? You know, Um, I think for me working in the children's hospital that I did work in, AAC really um, brought to light to me that just because someone um, may like on the outside seem like they can't communicate, you can put an eye gaze device or a proloquo or anything in front of them and they could be fantastic at it and just get it right away. And they're super intelligent. So I think that's something that's been driving the research for me. Yeah, it opens up a world of possibilities, right? Awesome. I think um, for me, just a lot of people out there, even in the field of speech-language pathology, don't know a lot about AAC, and I think that's kind of what gave my interest was to contribute to the research and get the word out there and start expanding the knowledge and making it a little bit more accessible for everyone. Yes, I love that. So good. (laughs) (laughs) And mine's pretty similar, Courtney, is just getting the word out there about AAC and that there are multiple ways that you can learn it. So like we mentioned, telepractice or the direct instruction, they're just a variety of ways to do that. So really getting the word out there for the methods. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you all summed it up, but it's AAC is you know, doable, usable, and it's empowering. So um, why not use it when, when you can or learn more about it? <laughs> doable. And then I lost it. <laughs> no, doable and usable. That sounds like a t-shirt right there. That is awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for doing the research and thank you for your interest in AAC because uh, having a whole new generation of people that are working on it is something this field desperately needs. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for your podcast. <laughs> we're talking with tech. This is Chris Fugay. Thanks everybody. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.